Welcome to the Pluto is a Planet podcast, where you can find science fiction and fantasy novels and short story reviews, ranging from vintage science fiction novels by H.G. Wells and Mary Shelley, to present-day science fiction cyberpunk novellas. Episode 6, Chamblot, written by C.L. Moore. Copyright 1933 by Popular Fiction Publishing Company for Weird Tales, November 1933. C.L. Moore is a gifted writer of science fiction and fantasy who began writing during the 1930s. Her real name was Catherine Moore. She wrote under quite a few pen names, as usual, that we've noticed in this. She actually started writing under pen names and under C.L. Moore because she was working, um, she was working for another company and she didn't want them to know that she was writing science fiction. Her first story was Chamblot and it was about an adventurer named Northwest Smith who is the, the basically the first science fiction anti-hero. She wrote a few, quite a few stories that dealt with the adventures of Northwest Smith. Uh, he was a rugged soldier of fortune and who travels throughout the solar system. And uh, he, when you read these stories, you can just tell that this is the template for every other pirate slash smuggler anti-hero in any science fiction ever since. So he is the template for Han Solo, for Malcolm Reynolds, for... Oh gosh, who am I thinking? I can't think anymore. But he's basically any science fiction that you've read that has to deal with it for, for like ice pirates, you know, I mean, which by the way, was a fantastic movie for space balls for, which was actually based on the science fiction of George Lucas, but you know, George Lucas should be paying CL Moore's you know, uh, estate because it's really very obvious that Han Solo was based on Northwest Smith. Um, CL Moore, also had was one of the first science fiction writers that had a female heroine. Her name was Jarell of Joyry, who in in her universe it was um very much medieval sort of life. Um The Black God's Kiss was one of the best ones, and I will re review that in the future because it's really quite a good one. She's also well known for the short novel No Woman Born which was published in 1944 and is one of the first stories that dealing with cybernetics um, where a woman, a dancer has her brain transplanted into a robotic body and how she overcomes this. Um, yes, I do know that I just did a review of Anne McCaffrey, which deals with the same thing, but actually no woman born came before the ship who sang. 
So CL Moore was definitely a trailblazer as far as that's concerned. Strangely enough, she didn't really win any science fiction awards other than like a generic sort of um, lifetime achievement award sort of thing uh, by the Science Fiction Writers of America. But it's very funny that she never got an award because when you read her short stories, they are extremely well received. And I actually have uh, one of her science fiction anthologies here, um, which is edited by Lester Del Rey, who did Del Rey Publishing. So you know that she was uh, very well received. And um, he actually does the foreword to the uh, Best of C.L. Moore, and he wrote that when he read the the um, short story Chamblot in 1933, he, he writes that life was never quite the same afterwards. He says, up to that time, science fiction readers had accepted the me mechanistic and unemotional stories of other worlds and future times without question. After the publication of Moore's story, however, the bleakness of such writing would never again be satisfactory. So it seems that C.L. Moore was, Catherine Moore, was injecting a bit of humanity and emotion into, so sort of color into rather dry science fiction. C.L. Moore married another science fiction writer, Henry Kuttner, in 1940, and the two began to collaborate on much of their work, so much so that up until his death in 1958, they anything that they have written, either separately or together, or under different um, pen names, you can't really tell who wrote what. And a lot of times, um, Kuttner's stories have been described as very scientifically sound, but kind of superficial and clever, where Moore had written moody fantasies and meaningful, but a little thin. So when they ended up collaborating, he had the scientific foundation and had like the hard fact science fiction writing down and she had the more emotional science fiction writing down. So it was a perfect pairing of writers. Nobody really knows who wrote what, um, because oftentimes they wrote, um, they, they would sign, they would both sign, um, as authors of the story or Sometimes when you read up on, on certain stories like Vintage Season, which is a very um, well-known science fiction story um, about time travelers coming to view uh, disasters like they are an amusement park, kind of like a precursor almost to Doctor Who sort of thing. If you think of the Doctor Who episode where they went to um, be in Pompeii right before Pompeii you know, explode right before Mount Vesuvius exploded. The, she wrote that about that back in the 19, um, I think it was in 1944 that she wrote that story. But Vintage Season has sometimes been attributed to Kuttner and then sometimes it's attributed to Moore. It's, it's, you, you can find, you know, different um, authors listed. But they did write very well together. Um, C.L. Moore 
did end up um, writing afterwards, after Kuttner's death. However, she actually didn't write science fiction after that. She actually started writing... Yeah, she started writing television writing. She did television writing. Um, she did marry again, um, but to a man named Thomas Reggie. He was not a writer, and um, she never wrote science fiction again, which was really sad. Um, she did talk about how she might do it, but she actually never went back to science fiction. It's unfortunate. At the end of The Best of C.L. Moore, there is a wonderful footnote that C.L. Moore actually wrote about this story, Chamblot, and I'm going to read it um, as much as I can. If I get called on copyright infringement, well, they can tell me and I'll take it out. The last few pages in the anthology, The Best of C.L. Moore, has um gem of a find for anyone who is interested in science fiction writing or in the writing process. It is actually um, C.L. Moore writing a footnote to Chamblot, the story Chamblot. And it's 40 years after she wrote Chamblot, so this was in 1975, and she writes that she was very happy indeed to pass on how she came up with this idea. She says, and I quote, My name was Catherine Moore, and I lived in a large Midwestern city, and the depression of the 1930s was rampant over the land. So I was snatched from my sophomore year at the State University and crammed into a business school to learn the rudiments of shorthand and typing. By incredible good fortune, before I finished the course, a job opened in a large bank opening in a large bank loomed up, and I leapt at it, unprepared but eager. In those days, you didn't mess around; you bluffed, prayed, and grabbed. Well, I was adequate, but typing was something practiced in every spare moment, and this is where Chamblot began. Halfway down, a sheet of yellow paper, otherwise filled with boring quick brown foxes, alphabets, and things like the white knight is sliding down the poker. He balances very badly to lighten the practice. Midway down that yellow page, I began fragments remembered from sophomore English at the university. All the choices were made at random. Keats, Browning, Byron, you named it. In the middle of this exercise, a line from a poem, she thinks it's by William Morris, worked itself to the front, and I discovered myself typing something about a red running figure. I looked at it a while, my mind a perfect blank, and then shifted mental gears without even adding punctuation to mark the spot, swinging with idiot confidence into the first lines of the story which ended up as Chamblot. The red-running figure in the poem had been a young witch pursued by soldiers and townspeople in some medieval village. In my story, they had, perfect, they had perfectly sensible reasons for killing her as soon as possible. I sat at the typewriter and heard distant bells ringing somewhere in the back stairs of my mind. The situation was wide open, and with no conscious mental processes whatever, I surrendered myself and the typewriter. This is among life's most luxurious moments, giving the story its head and just keeping your fingers moving. They know where they're going. That's kind of that, um, as a side note of mine, that's one of those things that it is that I 
used to teach my students all the time is just just write, just keep on writing. And sometimes you'll be surprised with what your mind comes up with. Back to C.L. Moore. Unfortunately, you can't expect your unconscious to carry on for very long unaided. So far, I've only promised to reveal where the ideas come from, not the story itself. So stay with me, pay close attention, and I'll see what I can do. This is her advice to young authors. First, you have to read a great deal of the works you enjoy most. Much of it will be useless, but the trusty unconscious can be relied on to make lots of unseen notes just in case. Mine did not fail me. I couldn't let my character Chambelot go on running forever, could I? I had the whole scene in hand now. Medieval setting, red running figure, pursuing soldiers and citizens. But then what? Obviously, she was going to need help. Also a foil to set off her effectively and give the story a shape it didn't yet have. So Northwest Smith strolled on stage without even a glance my way, perfectly sure of what he was going to do about this. Northwest Smith, you ask? Well, once I had typed a letter to an N.W. Smith, and the name lingered tantalizingly in my mind, waiting for this moment. What would a man named Northwest Smith look like, be like, occupy himself with? I soon found out. To complete the triumvirate of lead characters to whom my typewriter introduced me that day long ago, a companion and foil for Smith slouched carelessly onto interview, thirsting for drink and women. His name was Yarol, and I cannot conceal from you that it, it is an anagram from the letters in the name of the typewriter I was using, but I like it anyway. So actually, I can tell you that uh, she, <laughs> the name of the typewriter was the Royal Typewriter, and she just changed it to Yarol. Here we return to my conviction that you must read enough, enjoy it enough, to absorb unconsciously the structure of the fiction you like best. In this case, Chamblot needed help urgently. There wasn't any yet. The story required a backbone strong enough to support the plot, and Northwest Smith arrived on cue. For contrast with the seemingly helpless fugitive, Chamblot needed a strong, tall, romantically steely-eyed male. I think it was along about here my mind got devious, and I realized that after his use as defender was over, she might just possibly spring her trap and destroy him. You will note that this gave my still-unfledged plot a way to go after the rescue. That's what she wrote about Chamblot, which I think is really wonderful. She also wrote a few things about her other stories. To end this part about C.L. Moore, I can tell you, she writes... One last comment on Chamblot. This is as good a time as any to clear up a misconception which has long crept about unchallenged. This story was not rejected by every magazine in the field before it crept humbly to the doorstep of weird tales. My own perfectly clear memory tells me that I sent it first to weird, weird tales because that was the only magazine of the, of the type I knew well, and that an answering acceptance and check for the then fabulous amount of $100 arrived almost by return mail. C. L. Moore's short story, Chamblot, begins with a witch hunt. And the first words in the story are written in capital type so that you know that someone is shouting, Chamblot! Ha! Chamblot! And the paragraph goes on to say, The wild hysteria of the mob rocketed from wall to wall of Lachdarol's narrow streets and storming of heavy boots over the slag-red pavement made an ominous undernote to that swelling bay. Chamblot! Chamblot! I think that's a brilliant first paragraph, and it's 
begins this whole story, you already know that someone is being chased and they're being chased when she says the swelling bay. You can you can imagine that they're acting like a pack of foxhounds baying for prey for after the fox. And you can imagine it being like a dusty Midwestern town and there's heavy boots. You know, it's like workmen and it's not like an upper class situation here. So Chamblot is introduced in somewhat of a way. Actually, she's not even described yet. It's just this, this, it's the description of the mob. And actually, they're not even describing the mob. She's, she's not even describing the mob. She's describing the sound that's happening, which is really cool if you think about it. That this story is being introduced by the sounds of people yelling and the sounds of the heavy boots and that all you hear about from the the town is the name of the of the name of the town Lacdarol and that it has narrow streets and that it has slag slag red pavement which i think is an awesome description you can all, you can automatically tell that this is like a mining town you know it without even knowing it and the next paragraph starts with northwest smith being introduced the famous northwest smith which if you haven't read any of the cl moore's Story, short stories about Northwest Smith. I highly recommend them because he's a great character. And it says, Northwest Smith heard it coming and stepped into the nearest doorway, laying a wary hand on his heat gun's grip and his colorless eyes narrowed. So you can imagine already, like you could, you could imagine this being Han Solo. <laughs> so, and you know, it, it goes on to describe how this is actually a colony on Mars and you know, how he backs off and doesn't, you know, get involved, kind of like, you know, Rick in Casablanca, where it's like, I don't stick out my neck for nobody sort of thing. And what happens is that he, into his vision, this red, a red running figure comes, just like C.M.R. described as, you know, she remembered a line from a poem or a story from English literature. And instead of it being a young witch, it looks like a young girl and who's wearing a, a scarlet shift sort of thing. Um, which I also love how she writes it. A, uh, she describes Chamblot as a berry brown girl in a single tattered garment whose scarlet burnt the eyes with its brilliance. C.L. Moore is really, really good about doing her descriptions. It's her, her visual and her, her um, auditory descriptions are just really spot on. And you can tell this with also, she ran wearily and he could hear her gasping breath from where he stood. It's just, you could, it's so visceral. Her writing is so visceral. It's just, you are auto, you are automatically there. You could pretty much like feel the dust on your skin sort of thing. It's, you know, it's really great. So what happens is that the girl sees Northwest Smith and runs towards him and falls behind him. And the mob, which is described as a motley crowd, earthmen and Martians, and a sprinkling of Venusian swampmen, and strange nameless denizens of unnamed planets. A typical lactoral mob, as she describes it as. This, um, C.L. Moore's universe that this is set in, the setting, is an idea of Earth has colonized Mars and Venus, and possibly, you know, a couple of Jupiter's moons sort of thing. Um, 
this is before people knew anything more about Venus and Mars, so, you know, although, come to think of it, we do have little drones, you know, a little drone flying around Mars, so it could happen, but, you know, in, in, uh, in C.L. Moore's world, uh, Venus is apparently a swampy world, which is not true, but, you know, in this world, in this story, it can be, which I think is one of the wonderful things about early science fiction, where people could actually dream about, oh, maybe there are some planets in our solar system that can support human life and would be fantastical and might have other forms of, of alien life. So back to this story, the next paragraph starts with looking for something. Smith's sardonic call sounded clear above the clamor of the mob. And yeah, you can, you can just tell that, you know, that's your typical anti-hero sarcasm. You can imagine Harrison Ford or Clint Eastwood saying that, you know, very, uh, laconic. <laughs> Northwest Smith faces the crowd and he actually stops them by just burning a line with his pistol in the ground. And she describes that it was, it was an old gesture and not a man in the crowd, but understood it. The man in the mutilated patrol uniform lifted a threatening fist and stepped to the very edge of the deadline while the crowd rocketed to and fro behind him. Are you crossing that line? queried Smith in an ominous, gentle voice. We want that girl. Come and get her. Recklessly, Smith grinned into his face. He saw danger there, but his defiance was not the foolhardy gesture it seemed. An expert psychologist of mobs from long experience, he sensed no murder here. Not a gun had appeared in any hand in the crowd. They desired the girl with an inexplicable bloodthirstiness he was at loss to understand, but toward himself he sensed no such fury. A mauling he might expect, but his life was in no danger. I really liked that part that paragraph too, because it was you that right in that paragraph, she has basically done his entire backstory where it's like, he's this guy who knows how to stop a crowd and he knows how to read a crowd. And he has been in situations that have been that dangerous enough to actually be able to know when his life is in danger or when he, all he really is going to end up have happening to him is a beating. And he's the type of guy who he would just be like, yeah, I'll just get a beating. You know, it, it, being like used to the idea of getting beaten up by a crowd and, you know, accepting it and just moving on, you know, knowing how to basically cover his, you know, cover his head and vital organs so he doesn't get hurt too much. A person who's been used to trouble, somebody who's been in a gang sort of thing. And he is described as basically a smuggler, you know, a handsome rogue smuggler. He gets worried that it's going to go out of control. And then he says to this crowd, she's mine. Keep back. And then the crowd just basically disperses and says, Ugh. He looks at him with contempt and walks away. Now, this sets up the entire rest of the story where you know that there's something about this girl that, that ain't all that right. But basically what Northwest Smith does is he terribly underestimates this girl. <laughs> I do think sometimes reading this, think to myself, you know, NW, Northwest, why didn't you ever stop and think there might be a reason why these guys were chasing after this girl? If he wanted to be kind to her, he could have, like, you know, just 
dropped her off you know, at a you know in a safe place and you know given her a little bit of money and said go on your way. But no, instead he takes her into his place and he's just kind of like, okay, well you can stay here for a couple of days. You would think he would actually stop and think, you know, okay, so she's not quite human. And I do think that anyone or anything, but yes, he underestimates Chamblot and who is, she is, is female as much as something could be female who is in, of an alien race. And she describes herself as Chamblot. She doesn't have a name. She is just Chamblot. For a guy who is supposed to be this smart and has gotten through many tough scrapes in the past, you would think he wouldn't underestimate. He might have wondered when she, uh, when she told him she wasn't hungry and she was going to feed later, <laughs> that it might not be a good idea to keep her around. And that's all I'm going to say because I don't want to spoil it, but it is a really great story. And... Um, Northwest Smith does get into quite a lot of uh, danger with Chamblot. And he uh, luckily has his partner in crime, Yarol, the Venusian, um, save the day. I do know that I have been doing lots of reviews of female science fiction writers uh, for short stories, it's hard to find early male science fiction writers that aren't really chauvinistic. They do end up being so condescending to women. It's not something I really want to read. But that being said, there are also really great science fiction novels written by men like The Machine Stops by Ian Forrester. But then again, Ian Forrester was always really good about writing from the female perspective and from the male perspective and being very even-handed in his depiction and, and understanding the different gender viewpoints and not being discriminatory or condescending to either one. So that being said, C.L. Moore writes from both the male and female perspective and is not discriminatory towards or condescending towards either one, which is really great. And the fact that she wrote this in 1933, I think it's brilliant that she wrote it from just, you know, writing basic typing lines to, to help speed up her typing skills. And she just writes the word Chamblot in the middle of it and just thinks about what would Chamblot be. If you, if you are a follower of science fiction, you know who Chamblot is. The, the alien who is Chamblot is an, a recognizable alien. She is truly not human. And this is possibly one of the first true science fiction horror genre novel uh, short stories because it does get quite spooky in some parts. And that hadn't happened either. So that was my review of Chamblot by C.L. Moore. I hope you enjoyed it. And tune in next time for my next story. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pluto is a Planet. As always, if you have any short stories or science fiction fantasy novel that you would like me to review, please let me know through Anchor Messaging. 